Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're listening to the Tour Coach Podcast, giving you insights into golf instruction at the highest level from on the PGA Tour to our learning center at Frederica Golf Club. All right, this is pretty cool for me here, sitting down. It's a rainy morning at Memorial, so you've got the morning off, sitting down with really the hottest putting coach out there on the PGA Tour. I've had the opportunity to work with you a little bit, Stephen Sweeney. Stephen, thanks for coming over. Rainy morning, you got the morning off with the rain, so we are able to piece this together. But uh, I always you know, think I'm fairly observant. And one thing I've noticed over the last couple of years is not only how much you're out there, but two, how many people you work with and how damn good they putt. Right. So, I mean, like, that's generally pretty good. Right. So I wanted to pick your brain and sit down and let's talk a little putting. I I haven't done as much putting on the podcast, but let's talk a little bit about the things that uh, one you think are important that make people good putters. Sure. Tony, well, first of all, thanks for having me. And obviously, I feel at home this morning with uh, the rain gear on and stuff back from Ireland. Yeah. uh, Yeah, This is a good day over there. It it? is a great day. (laughs) We we wouldn't be sitting in doing it in, uh, in Ireland, but. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously been in the States for a couple of years, and I just, you know, try to get out there as much as possible. I do about 35 weeks a year, probably, 32 to 35 weeks a year, so. How do you stay married? That's uh, probably why you're still married. That stupid. is why I stay married, <laughs> I'm exactly. out 26, 27, <laughs> and I know Yvonne, Yvonne's mad when I said I'm starting to slow down a little. It was like, oh, geez. There so, you go. But, but uh, No, but I feel like, you know, coming from Europe, the biggest thing that I've noticed is, been the quality in the greens for sure Mm -hmm. and actually the stroke style based on where the guys grow up and it's probably something that you don't think about because you guys are used to having really good greens generally no matter where you come from in the united states but you know the green speeds in europe will generally never be above a 10 no matter where you're from so some acceleration patterns definitely vary from the european players to the american players now does let me ask you this does that transfer over like is there some things we can learn about the European strokes because the patterns are different and that they still be, I mean, I know when we have, you know, Ryder cups over here, mm-hmm. you guys make everything mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Even when they're, you know, when it's at Medina, right. Yeah. So obviously, even though Ian Poulter's stroke pattern may be different, mm-hmm. there's gotta be something about that that makes it effective. So weirdly, I'd say completely the opposite. It's, it's been the guys that have come over to the United States and learned how to putt on really, really fast greens have been the guys that have done well in those really? Ryder Cups. Yeah. So Poulter be one. Poulter right? being one. You know, I think, you know, even, you know, a Rory McIlroy or a Luke Donald, certainly the guys that went to college in the United States tend to putt a lot, lot better than the guys who have stayed on the European tour for much longer mm-hmm. and then came over here later. So that's one thing we've noticed. I would say in general, the European style is more of an accelerating stroke. So really hitting quite hard through the ball. Whereas, you know, a lot of the, the faster American greens require you to have more of a consistent pace to your stroke. Or even there's some great putters out there that have like slight deceleration, which probably you wouldn't think would be the, the quality you'd look for in a stroke, but certainly on these faster greens, you don't want to be really popping through the golf ball too much. Yeah, so, you know, I teach a lot of juniors and college players that obviously aspire to be out there and, you know, in a place like Memorial. So does it help when you develop players to put them on as fast as greens as you can? I Absolutely. Mean, yeah, I think that that's the 
the biggest advantage is to be able to, as a young player, get on really quick greens. And that stroke will certainly develop early in life rather than having to kind of adjust and learn later in life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when it comes to full swing, I'm old school. I'm still, I still believe a lot in that there's certain fundamentals, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that when we walk up and down the range, like at Memorial, I mean, everybody swings different, but there's still two, three, four things that they have some commonalities. What about putting? Are there, are there some fundamentals that you see that are, you know, I mean, obviously Ben Crenshaw strokes it way different than, you know, whoever you want to put out there, Brant Snedeker. Sure. But, like, are there fundamentals that you see – you know, that run through all the all the really good putters? Yeah, I think speed control being certainly one of them. The best green readers tend to be the best putters no matter what. I've had guys that will aim their putter up to three, four degrees offline at, at setup, but because they read the green really well and they're, you know, got maybe great short game, great hands, they'll get that ball started online and actually make a whole bunch of putts that guys who maybe have like a technically perfect stroke might miss just because they don't they don't see the, the lines quite as well as, as the, the good green readers you know I've, I've taught some guys that really good ball great ball strikers but struggled putting mm-hmm. and as I would watch I always felt like I didn't think it was as much the stroke as it was I thought they hit it a lot of times where they were looking but that they didn't read it mm-hmm. very well mm-hmm. and I always wondered you know you wonder if over time and not reading and making putts, if it gets to where you don't trust your lines and much and your reads as much because you haven't read them well, you know, you wonder if there's like a carryover to that. Sure. I mean, you know, you get guys that get hot for little spurts and then you have the guys like a Denny McCarthy or an Alex Noren or a Xander Schauffele mm-hmm. or whatever that are just, you know, year after year up there on the putting stats. And those guys just tend to see the lines more consistently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're not going to make 30 footers every week, but certainly their ball generally starts more often where they're looking just because they have that extra trust in what they're seeing. And I think it helps as well the familiarity of coming back to golf courses year after year where yes. you've putted good. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the big things you'll probably notice, like with a Brant Snedeker, he makes a lot of putts on Poa Greens. So he loves going to the West Coast to play. Which is odd, right? Exactly. Most guys don't. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, I heard a stat from one of his team that he'd made something like 40% of his career earnings on Poa Grass or something like that out on the West Coast. Insane. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So horses for courses. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, it's, it's interesting, though. And now you, you talked about, you know, hitting their starting lines. Are there things that you see that the best putters do that make them more likely to hit their start lines more often? Understanding your aim bias and basically having a consistency of aim. So last week at Colonial, Sebastian Munoz was mm-hmm. number one in strokes game putting. And we started having a conversation back actually with the players about he kind of didn't really understand why his putter always looked offline. So we did a little test for his visual perception. And when he put a line down on the ground, it always looked to the right. So when he would square up a line, it would always be left of his target. Mm-hmm. So we were actually able to get a putter made for him. It took a little while, but we got a putter made with no lines that, that suited him. And last week, I mean, he, he just went out and just rolled the rock, really. So 
for him being able to understand his, his visual perception. And that's one of the things that I'll work on with the guys, first of all, is where are you aiming the putter? Do you understand where you're aiming it? Because I've always had the theory, if you're able to swing a driver at 125 miles an hour behind your head where you can't see it, back to within a one degree face the path, the putting stroke's only moving, you know, 15, 18 inches, and we only need the club face to be under one degree open or shut to hit the hole from eight feet. You know, the margin of error to miss a four footer, three footer would generally never be only opening or closing the blade. You usually either misread the green and open the face or miss aimed. There's got to be like a culmination of, of mistakes to, for that to happen. Yeah, there's a great old teacher. You probably wouldn't know him. Tom Ness, great old golf machine guy out of Atlanta. I used to spend a bunch of time with him, and Tom used to say, I mean, the putter only goes back this far through this far. How hard can it be to get it started online? And that's obviously an oversimplification. But, you know, to me, these people that really struggle with it, mm -hmm. and I'm, I mean, heck, I'm not a very good putter myself, but, like, if you think of it in that terms, I mean, it does – tend to like, well, look, all I got to do is take back this far, this far. And like you said, I mean, we can swing at 100 miles an hour and get a club to zero out if we wanted to, right? Yes. Most of those guys on tour, for sure, if you gave, I've always said like the, the thing I didn't like about TrackMan and those numbers is if you gave a tour player who's incredibly talented and you gave them 10 balls, they could produce whatever number me and you put told them to do. Sure. Now, it doesn't mean they could do it under pressure, but they could if you mm -hmm. told anybody like i want you six out and four degrees they they do it in five or six balls and then they can do it the other way you know but when you to me like with putting it's they should be able to do it they should be able to do it and one thing i think obviously your your listeners are really well educated in in golf and you know mechanics and stuff so one of the things that i always kind of feel is overtaught in the in the putting stroke is the idea of releasing the putter okay so there's you know, the change of lie angle in the in the putting stroke, and you can obviously have this, the change of shaft lean in the putting mm -hmm. stroke, and then rotation around the shaft, so opening and closing. But, you know, certainly with Tiger, for instance, he's talked a lot about, you know, releasing the, the toe of the mm -hmm. putter. And he's had really a, a vertical release of the club where, you know, he practices a lot and has practiced since he was a kid with just one hand. Right. Sort of his wrist going into extension and flexion through the through mm -hmm. the putting stroke. He's never really rotated the putter open and closed. Mm -hmm. So there's not been that opening and closing around the, the, the shaft axis. And yet, whenever, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to spend time with Bryson and, you know, his arm lock system mm -hmm. and, you know, measure a lot of the best putters on tour in the last couple of years. The best putters don't have a lot of face rotation in their putting strokes. Just uh, like their golf swings. Just like their golf swings. And I think it's something that's really been overtaught is to, you know, let that putter swing open and let it swing closed on the way back. You know, the idea of having the putter de-loft on the way back, you know, obviously it's mm -hmm. going to point out to the right. And as it re-lofts, it's back to square. And as it ad-lofts, it points left, mm -hmm. just, you know, through swing direction, the same as a golf swing. Right. And that's how actually the toe appears to be behind the heel and how the toe appears to pass the heel in the through stroke. Mm -hmm. So I call it more of a, like a, a vertical release rather than like a horizontal release. I like that. I like that because I think in the golf swing, I think people just, they're around golf and they just talk release mm -hmm. but don't really understand it, right? And I think when you tell 
club level golfer to release the club head. They do it by throwing their hands yeah. or they make the club head pass their hands and the face rotate. Mm-hmm. Whereas you look at a, you know, obviously it's all wrist angles nowadays, but you obviously look at a full swing, you know how that wrist is still flat, yeah. right? And they may release under, mm-hmm. but they don't, you know, they're not pushing the head past it, right? So Correct. the face isn't really rotating going through. And I love what you just said about putter, you know, and it, it, but it's interesting how you've studied it and measured that. Now, I, I really haven't had anybody, I've not heard anybody talk about Tiger's stroke in that manner, but that's interesting when you put it into perspective with, if you stand there at Augusta and watch him, I mean, he puts a million balls one-handed with his right hand. Yeah. And he, I watched him one time, had to make 50 in a row from 10 feet, mm-hmm. just one-handed. Mm-hmm. It was the most impressive thing I think I've ever seen. Yeah, because that putter really never opened or shut relative to his swing direction. It's always square to the plane, right? Correct. Or, or, yeah. That's so, interesting. So, and I've been, you know, very lucky in the last few months to get to know Brad Faxon mm-hmm. pretty well, yep. and I sat, sat down for coffee with him a little, you know, a few weeks ago, and you know, to talk to Brad about how he putted, you know, when he had little conversations with Tiger or you know Mr. Crenshaw and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and you know, just the idea of vertical release in the shaft, mm-hmm. and I think. You know what certain players in you know, obviously you've been around this long enough to understand what what guys say and they feel versus what they actually do totally different <laughs> yeah it's it, it's not always the same thing and, and i think that's one reason you know tour players are i think they have unbelievable understanding of what they do yes or what they feel and they need to do to play their best but again taking that feeling and applying it to the guy next to you I mean, sure. he, do, he isn't going to feel the same, right? I mean, I can't tell you what something feels like. I can tell what I feel like. Sure. That's why I think it's also not always good for players when they always just start telling each other what they feel or uh, what they're doing, 100%, right? hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, you know, you're going to have this week, you know, at the Memorial Tournament is going to be Xander Schauffele going to uh, an arm lock putter. Really? Yes. Now, he's been out there for the last couple of days, and I know him and... Derek Ueda, his mm-hmm. putting coach back in California, and they've been they've been testing an arm lock grip on his gamer putter. One of the things they've seen is just the consistency of shaft angle and loft that he brings back to the golf ball. So, you know, I do think that whenever you see that da- data, you'll start to understand that, you know, the putter is not rotating. It's it's not releasing. And, you know, guys like Bryson or, you know, what Xander's finding out now, these kind of different style grips with arm lock in it, whether it be like a, you know, Billy Horschel arm lock style, mm-hmm. all the way up through a Bryson arm lock, it just stops the face moving both in a, in a rotational manner and it controls the shaft and the loft of the putter much, much better. I'm going to ask you this question. This is more for me. I've, I've long thought, watching different putters, that the amount of shaft lean... I mean, that there's people that do it all different ways, mm-hmm. but that the most important thing is to be able to have the same amount of shaft lean every time, mm-hmm. right? Like, and like, if you had a lot, it's okay if you did it, if you put the right loft on the putter, as long as you did it the same amount sure. every time. Exactly. Right? And that's one thing where I think where, when people try to release it, like with the toe, they can't, to me, that's hard to do the same amount every time, unless you're just blessed, right? I mean, there's, you know. It's pretty difficult. It's pretty difficult. You know, I had the chance to work for a long time with Alex Noren. And mm-hmm. Alex is, you know, almost famous for his shaft yep. lean on the mm-hmm. putter. 
And one of the things, almost the only thing we worked on was the consistency of that shaft. Okay. So, you know, getting it, sometimes he'd set up with the shaft a little too far back and then press it in the middle of the downstroke. Or sometimes he'd, you know, press it more mm -hmm. and then let the, the right hand come away from the left forearm mm -hmm. and kind of add loft to it. And, you know, when we started about a, about a year ago, he was like 140th on the putting stance. And by the FedEx Cup in September, he was 31st. And that actual time period, he was the number one putter on tour for that just that time span. Mm -hmm. And it was all due to the Shaftley. You know, we weren't standing there, you know, trying to reinvent the wheel with a new putting stroke. It was simply, hey, can we get this one parameter consistent? Because you're one of the best green readers I've ever seen, and your speed control is phenomenal. But there's something funky happening here if you're just releasing that club in different ways every time, or bringing different dynamics back on the golf ball. That it starts, you know, one degree off here and there. You're not going to hold as many of those 12, 15, 20 footers as you mm -hmm. as you need to, mm -hmm. to to be at an elite level like like he wants to be. So you've touched on green reading multiple times. Yeah. Not everybody's a great green reader. Mm -hmm. When a player comes to you and they're not a good green reader, how do you help them improve that? And I mean, I, I do think that there's some of it that there's just guys that are great green readers, and, yeah. right? But like to me, a lot of guys that are great ball strikers, but not great putters, if you can just make them a better green reader and make them an average putter, they're going to be incredibly successful, right? How do you help somebody improve their green reading? I think there's there's three options. You either, you either practice your green reading, which, you know, we'll do little drills where we put down ball markers along their line and I'll ask them to map it out and then see them, you know, have them roll that ball along the top of those ball markers mm -hmm. and see how close did the actual ball roll get to what they projected it to get to. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we'll do it with some of those like fake cups that are, you know, super thin. They just, you know, just put over the top of them. The second one is, you know, they get a, a caddy who's a really, really good green reader and they give more of that ownership to the caddy kind of like a Dustin Johnson with Austin, I guess, his brother. Really? Yeah, his brother comes in and does a lot of the green reading for, for DJ. Or the third one, you know, I'm a big fan of Aimpoint. Okay. I don't think it's an absolute, and I don't think it's an exact science, but, you know, a lot of my juniors that have kind of had really good strokes on Quintic and, you know, indoor in a studio on a straight putt, they light it up and they go out and they start missing 10-footers on the golf course by... A cup left, a cup right. It's got to be reading. It's, it's obviously a read. So, you know, at a young age, kind of develop little games of how can they learn with their feet. Hey, is this right to left, left to right, through aim point. And it's, I've actually had some, you know, two kids in, in um, Austin, Texas, that have had phenomenal success in the last four or five months just by getting really good at aim point. And what, and what they do is they have like a little skateboard in their living room without the wheels on it and mm. one of the brothers will put a random amount of lego bricks under one side of the skateboard and the other brother has to get on it and tell him how much slope he's standing on so they have little challenges in their in their living room to practice their aim point with how, how much and they'll put a little level on it and then see okay was he right or wrong that's interesting though right that all you're doing is practicing figuring out how much slope yes and that if you did that just like if you did anything 
you did enough of that, you would develop an awareness and a feel for what slope is. Sure. Right? Yeah. And I do think that uh, I agree 100% that, like, to me, great putters use their feet to feel what the ground's doing and have are really in tune with that. It's amazing, I think, if you probably talk to a lot of players, how often do they line up a putt and they're like, okay, I'm happy, that's that's exactly lined up where I want it to be. And then they stand over the putt and they they might have more weight on their heels or their toes than they expected. Mm -hmm. And they kind of start to second guess themselves. Hey, maybe I'll just play this a little more left or a little more right. So that the feel is obviously there in, in most players' feet. You know, I think the, the great ones either make a decision to stick to what they've, they've decided right. on, or they go back and they reevaluate it and they're like, oh, maybe I didn't see that it's going to start going right at the start of the putt. I'll build that in and then commit to that decision and, and hit the putt from there. How much do you think the great putters trust their gut instincts? I mean, to me, I think that that's like that's valuable right because how many times especially with guys that are good putters yeah you know brad faxon again you know he sort of spoke a lot about this when we had lunch there was his idea of never hitting a putt until you're ready never hitting a putt until you're fully committed and you like i'm going with my instinct i'm willing to miss this putt but i'm going to commit to what i've decided on rather than doubting yourself second guessing and then not really committing to anything and just hitting it anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was obviously a fantastic putter. And, and I think the guys that he sort of worked with, that's been a big part of what he tries to get through to his players as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've seen it, you know, especially with Rory, some of the weeks he's had on the greens, mm-hmm. there's a lot more commitment to what he's doing on the greens rather than maybe second guessing what he was doing before. When it comes to routines, you hear lots of people talk about routines. How important is that? And when you look at the best putters that you, when you see the best putters week in, week out, how consistent are the routines and how important does that play into how good they are? The routines from the best guys just don't change. I mean, they're just so consistent. And, you know, part of what you'll do with a player who's really struggling is that you'll try and actually see what are they doing as a routine? Is it consistent? And then how can you build a consistent routine for, for that one player? And there's probably no one exact right routine for everyone. You know, some guys like to just not even have a practice stroke or guys have four. Mm-hmm. But as long as it's the same every time and it works for that person. I actually have a player, he's trying to reduce the number of practice strokes he makes on his sort of inside 20 foot putts. Really? Yeah. Just because he's, he's standing over the ball too long, there's too many thoughts going through his head. And... It's interesting to see, you know, especially at the PGA Championship, how successful that started to work for him just by, you know, focusing more on the routine than the outcome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously that was a difficult week in the wind. Yeah, and tough, everything. tough sledding there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was not an easy place. Talking about routine, one of my pet peeves with juniors and good players coming up is... You know, they stand there and they make just like they're waving at the ball practice strokes instead of making a specific stroke yeah. with intent that's trying to replicate what they're trying to do. And like I always tell folks, and I want your opinion, like I don't really care how many you make or if you make one, mm-hmm. but if you're going to make one, I mean, I think it ought to be an actual stroke where you're trying to do something, right? I mean, that's and the same thing. And then you talked about, 
you know, standing over the ball. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. It's like I, and I want your, I'm trying to learn here as well. Like I like them to make specific strokes. And then when they put the putter in behind the ball, after they take their look, I mean, I like their, once their eyes settle on the ball to go ahead and go, mm-hmm. not just go in there. I heard Ben Crenshaw say once like that, uh, you know, great putters have quiet eyes, I think was the term. Yeah. And bad putters eyes dart back and forth. Right, you yes. know, and you can see that when you watch great putters. Well, you know, you said two things there that that really resonate with me, and two things that I kind of try to drill through to my players. One is the word intent, mm-hmm. and you know, I think a lot of guys, you know, they come out, they're here on a Monday, they get to, you know, go through three long days of practice, and they get to Thursday, and they feel like they got to be at the golf course for ten hours and do mm-hmm. a lot of practice, mm-hmm. or you know, juniors that are there from sun up to sundown. And it's almost try it, whatever you're going to do, do it properly with intent. And, you know, if you've got a 50 foot putt, you shouldn't just be waving at the golf ball as if it's like a seven footer. You should be making a practice stroke, looking at the hole, thinking, okay, how much swing do I need to hit this 50 footer? Mm-hmm. So the, the intent for sure that I love that. And it's interesting what you say with the, with the quiet eyes. So Shane Lowry is mm-hmm. a big, big advocate of he looks at the hole when he settles over the ball, he'll have a look at the hole, and as his eyes come back down the line, they trace all the way to the ball, and when they reach the golf ball, the putter starts to swing. So he doesn't give himself a chance to get, you know, himself looking at the putter going back. He never sees the backswing of his putter. Mm-hmm. So it's always target orientated, comes back down that line, traces the line down, and the minute he sees that, you know, the, the logo on his golf ball, the putter starts moving. Yeah. So, so he's I trying love to, that. Yeah. It's very, very similar to what you started saying about, about Crenshaw. Yeah, and I, I mean, I was just standing by a green once and heard somebody, you know, him talking or heard an interview. But I, I, but I always think, too, like that, that if you can get the eyes when they settle back on the ball and then you pull the trigger, mm-hmm. it becomes more instinctual and reactive, mm-hmm. right? And you're, you know, I'm a big believer in that, especially nowadays, these guys are great athletes. Mm-hmm. We don't have many of them out coming up and out now that are, you know, couldn't hit a rim with a free throw exactly right? yeah. you know so they're great athletes so yeah. i think the more you can make it instinctual and reactive the better they'll be under pressure and yeah. that's why i like to hold that idea of the eyes with the routine because when they get out there and they've got a 10 footer to make the cut or a 10 footer to top 10 or a 10 mm-hmm. footer to win i mean you want them to be the most natural they can be and reactive you Definitely. know i would think some of the worst putts i've seen from any of the guys that i've taught is you'll know they're about to hit a bad putt from how long they just stand still yep. over the putt. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, you know, most of these guys, you spend time with them privately, you watch them play table tennis or you watch right. them throw, shoot a basketball or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. They're phenomenally gifted athletes and they could probably be semi-pro in most other sports as well if they really put mm-hmm. their mind to it. So to be able to just, you know, roll a golf ball towards the target yeah, it's, it's trying to get the athleticism out of the, those guys and, and trying to get more feel-orientated, for sure. Yeah, and I think that, and, and I, again, I think that those things, because you know, we have a lot of teachers that listen to this, and we have a lot of golf nuts, mm-hmm. but, and you, but you got a lot of golfers of all skill level, but I think that those things that you touched on all the way through could help any golfer. I mean, anybody that, anybody that wants to improve their putting, 
you know, and I, I think there's only a handful of people out there, and we, you've mentioned most of their names, that don't need to improve on putting and don't need to learn something about putting, right? I mean, what, there's probably six people in the world maybe that don't need to get better. So, I, But I think it can help everybody. I, I appreciate you taking the time. This was fun, and I've really enjoyed the opportunity to get to know you over the last year and to watch you grow and watch your business grow and the success you have. It's fun, man. You're doing a hell of a job out there. It's cool to watch. Oh, likewise, Tony. I really appreciate it. I mean, you've been obviously one of the first, you know, big name teachers in the United States that gave me the time of day. So well, I wouldn't. If you if you're considering me big name, you've got issues. No, <laughs> but, no, no. But uh, I really big, you could have just stopped it. Big. If you'd have seen the steak I had last night with Justin Parsons, my gosh. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I so. really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, this was fun. We'll do it again. Absolutely. Thank you. Next time, though, we need to do in the evening coordinate better where I can have wine. There we go. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero. If you enjoyed this, make sure to hit subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. If you want to learn more about Tony, head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to. Maybe you want to see him, grab a lesson, or go to one of his camps, pick up his book, Lessons from the Legends. You can do that there. If you want to see Tony in action with some videos and other content, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Tony to get more info there. This episode was powered by the Golf Science Lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. We go into year two of the tour coach, it wouldn't be possible without the support of all our sponsors. And I've had some great ones. And one of the things that I'm most proud of in my career and in my business is the fact that all of my relationships here and all these sponsorships have been long time, long withstanding relationships, haven't jumped from sponsor to sponsor and manufacturer to manufacturer. And I've always prided ourselves in special relationships and when people work together, support each other. And we've all put out great products for the benefits of everybody else. So I want to give a special thanks to these folks that have been with me for such a long time. And that would be the folks at Shrixon, Cleveland Golf, and Zexio. Couldn't ask for a better manufacturer to be aligned with. And not only do they put out great product and great support, but they're first-class people. And they believe in what we're doing here on the Tour Coach and with the Dew Sweepers and also Vineyard Vines. Ian, Shep, TJ, and all the folks at Vineyard Vines hard to keep me looking good, but they do a fantastic job. And they're like family. They support everything on the Dew Sweepers. And we're so proud to be affiliated with and support the folks at Vineyard Vines. So if you're out there, you're listening to the Tour Coach, please support our sponsors, Strixon Cleveland Golf Zexio, as well as Vineyard Vines. And keep listening and keep enjoying hanging out with us here on the Tour Coach.